The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Wall Street coming off its worst week since March, but looking to bounce back at the open. And then the not-so-magnificent, another round of big, uh, another uh, rough week for big tech, and some of the biggest names in the market that continue to fall from their lofty highs. Then in China... A crisis of confidence. As Beijing's latest round of support, it fails to impress investors. Plus, bracing for Jay Powell and Jackson Hole later this week. And then later in our show, Tropical Storm Hillary makes landfall out west. We have a live report from Southern California coming up. It is Monday, August the 21st, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we'll kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow coming off its worst week since March. Right now, you're seeing futures in the green across the board. The S&P fractionally higher. The Nasdaq moving higher. The Dow Jones looks like it would open up about 90 points higher right now. We're also checking the bond market, taking a look at yields. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year Right now at 4.28, the two-year note creeping back towards that 5% yield, something we continue to watch. We're also watching energy, specifically oil. We're going to start with WTI, the U.S. benchmark right now at 81.70, off of its highs of earlier this morning, still up just about a half a percent. Same story for Brent crude. Natural gas making a big move up 2.5%. That's the early picture stateside. Let's now get a check on the overseas action in Europe and Asia. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with much more. Juliana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Well, we've got a lot of action this side of the pond. Let me kick off with what's gone on in Asia overnight. You can see beside me that we've had some underperformance from the Chinese market. Shanghai Composite in the mainland pulling back one and a quarter percent in the Hong Kong market. Hang Seng down one point eight percent overnight. As you mentioned in the headlines, the People's Bank of China uh, disappointed expectations. They announced a cut in the one year rate, but kept their five year rate steady, defying the expectation that investors had that they would cut both rate. So not as much stimulus support as expected or as hoped. And then the underperformance in particular in Hong Kong, driven by concerns around uh, the property sector in China. You've got Country Garden, the troubled property company, due to be removed from the Hong Kong market in early September. That company has been struggling to make payments and driving concerns about the broader property market. The Japanese market, though, bucking the trend, gaining about 0.4 percent. In Europe, we've got a little bit more positive action taking place. You've got green across the board. We have come off the highs, but we are still holding firm. FTSE MIB in Italy out in front, up 1.4%. You are seeing some uh, lagging gains in the UK market. FTSE 100 is up just a half a percent. Basic resources underperforming after that disappointment out of China. But it's the UK home builders, which are selling off most sharply. Here's a picture for you of some of the big names here. Uh, you've got uh, 2 to 3% off for most of the home builders. Cress Nicholson off nearly 10%. 
Two things driving this trade. One, home prices. Asking prices for homes have fallen sharply this month. And two, Cress Nicholson, as you can see there, came out with a profit warning this morning, which is driving nerves around the sector, saying that uh, transaction levels across the industry have weakened, particularly in recent weeks. So mortgage rates, mortgage costs are beginning to bite as we deal with higher interest rates and an overall elevated cost of living here in the U.K. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. Back here on Wall Street, markets are bracing for a very busy week of economic data from housing, adorable goods, as well as a number of key earnings reports from NVIDIA, Gap and Macy's. And the big event this week, fresh comments on inflation and rates from Fed Chair Jay Powell in Jackson Hole this Friday. This is the major indices come off a losing week with the S&P 500 now on pace for its biggest monthly decline of the year. It's down nearly 5% as we see a spike in Treasury yields. Let's talk much more about the markets with Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist at Federated Hermes. Linda, good morning. Good morning. All right, I think we've got to start with some of the news. Uh, China did not cut that key uh, mortgage pricing benchmark, the five-year loan rate. We're seeing some impact on the international markets right now. So I, I want to ask you about that. Do you see that impact in the U.S. markets later today as well? Well, I, I think mainly we have to remember that we're still in August, and August is historically one of the weakest months of the year. It's a very low volume month historically, so uh, any little piece of information could actually pull down the market. As you mentioned, we have Nvidia, that's the big tech name, one of the, the big of the of Magnificent Seven that might uh, that might disappoint uh, very lofty expectations this week. China, of course, is the second largest economy in the world. And they have the wherewithal to deliver the stimulus that they need to get things going again over there, potentially. Uh, and so we're not particularly worried about that as an outsized risk. But it's still there, as you mentioned, because uh, and it is very important if they should fall into an economic recession. U.S. looks strong. They can't we can't be the only country, though, in the world that is strong. All right. So you're mentioning earnings. I think that kind of leads us to the momentum in the market. So if you look since. July 31st, we've seen a big downturn in the markets for the entire month of August. So give us a sense. How much do you think of that as seasonality? Obviously, less liquidity, less trading. And then how much is that as rising rates, also Fitch downgrade of U.S. credit and some other issues out here? Well, I, I really do think that most of it has to do with the month of August. Uh, and when when you have low volume trading, you can have moves that are exacerbated. And quite often it is on the downside. September also is uh, is one of the worst months historically of the year. And it's been a very strong year. We, we won't forget. So, you know, when, when we look at earnings to us, we look at the prize. The prize is earnings. The prize is the consumer and the consumer is resilient. That I know is a word we've heard it said a lot here in these last number of months. It's a great word for the strength of this economy. So. Uh, you know, I think we'd still bear that in mind. I think the surprise for all of us and the same for us here at, at Federated Hermes is that the bond market has pulled back so much. Uh, but it it makes sense to us that we have to be near the end of that pullback. Historically, it's not a terribly high number on the 10 year, but it's been quick. And, and I mean, it, it has been a surprise to uh, to all of us so uh, as well. Federated. You're very focused on this resilient consumer, this consumer that just continues to spend no matter what other negative information we get. Um, what does that mean for the markets as we go into September? You mentioned it's a usually a difficult month for the markets. Are there certain sectors or stocks that you think will be buoyed by this resilient consumer? You know, actually, we, we have a 5,000 S&P year-end target now, so that's a good upside. We think that the breadth, with, the breadth of the market, which was widening, and that's good, seems to have pulled back somewhat here, but still looks like it can widen. So basically, 
we, we just about like everything, honestly, except for large cap uh, growth, which Wait, has you like just everything. <laughs> yeah, just about everything. So, so this we'll is by this. the dip then. We're, we're just showing the month to date uh, reaction or the action on the markets right now. So pretty much you're saying, you know, the SPY, go ahead and buy it. If you see some individual stocks or sector picks, go ahead and buy it. I will say that, but I do also want to say that, you know, in a in a market like this, which is still working off tremendous excess savings, and you wonder where is where are the real pockets of value? Anyone wants to look at the real pockets of value, look where nobody's interested in. And that is the high quality dividend sectors of the market. You know, defense hasn't really had picked has hasn't really had a bid here, even though we've pulled back some in the marketplace. I'm talking about areas of the market like staples. You just showed WTI, the energy sector has been weak this year after being strong the last uh, couple of years. We like energy very, very much. You know, real estate, communication sectors, uh, these areas of the market have been very, uh, you know, very much left behind. Anybody okay. who's yield oriented is going to find some serious yield over there. And they are inexpensive on a 30 year basis versus the S&P. All right. A broad buy call, Linda Dissel, uh, an optimist. Great to have you here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, time to get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Also very optimistic. Happy morning. I am very optimistic, Frank, of course. Why not? And so should David Solomon be, because Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon breathing a sigh of relief, at least for now, when it comes to job security. According to the Financial Times, Goldman's board of directors remains firm in its support of Solomon, despite a wave of internal backlash, high-profile executive exits, and negative media publicity. The report adds the ongoing dissent in the ranks is expected to be discussed at a board meeting next month. DuPont is reportedly nearing a deal to sell its Delrin Resins unit to to the Jordan Company. That's a private equity firm for about $1.8 billion. According to Bloomberg, the deal could be announced as soon as this week, though Lone Star Funds and Platinum Equity are also bidding on the asset. And Meta Platforms plans to launch a web version of its Threads app this week, posing a new threat to Elon Musk's ex-platform, formerly known as Twitter. Meta's head of Instagram, Adam Osseri, said on Friday that the web version of Threads already is being tested internally, adding, quote, it's a little bit buggy right now, but you don't want it just yet, Frank. I'm still not on Threads. I, I think it might be over. It started, it was like a big thing, yeah. and you never really hear about anybody nope. posting on Threads I, anymore. Same, yeah, I, haven't, I don't really hear about it, was, it either. It was a moment. It was. Yeah, all right. Savannah, we'll see you later on the show. You're going to have another moment. All right. Good. (laughs) All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, we're tracking Tropical Storm Hillary. It's battering Southern California as the region's first tropical storm in nearly 90 years. We have a live report coming up. Plus, China's central bank fails to impress as the country's property problems miss out on a much needed lifeline. Our Yunus unit is in Beijing with the impact on this very important sector. brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turning back to one of our top market stories of the day, China's central bank is cutting its one-year prime loan rate and leaving its five-year rate unchanged in a bid to further boost economic activity. However, that move disappointing some investors who have been expecting cuts to both of those key rates. Let's talk more about this now, with, about the state of the world's second-largest economy and why it appears Beijing is taking it slow on stimulus measures. Joining me now is Luis Liu, China economist at Oxford Economics. Luis, good morning. Morning. All right. So let's talk about this just for a minute. Uh, as we just said, China did not cut or change that key mortgage pricing benchmark, the five-year lending rate. Um, investors were hoping for that stimulus. What does this mean in the near term for both the Chinese economy and Chinese equities? I think I think the big thing to remember is that because. Once again, markets are disappointed by what's coming out of Beijing in terms of policy easing. I think this adds to the market nervousness around whether or not China authorities are in fact going to support the economy at a time when it needs the support the most. So I, I do think that the technicalities around today's um, lack of action, if you like, um, it's perhaps less important than why it's not doing that. And I think that is really what markets are perhaps most focused on. I mean, we've said for a long time that 10 bips, 20 bips moves um, by PBOC is not going to matter much um, in the grand scheme of what the problems of, of the economy is facing. But I think the fact that it's not moving today, I think right. that that is going to lead to market nervousness. You know, I think you hit on a key point. While, you know, a 10 basis point cut may not be meaningful fundamentally, it would mean a lot for sentiment, it sounds like. Mm. Exactly, exactly. But I think we have to note also that aside from the fact that it hasn't moved today, it has also on the sidelines given plenty of window guidance to banks to encourage lending. Um, it's also guided banks towards lowering existing mortgage rates. So clearly um, there is some stimulus there, um, but it does seem like they are very cognizant of the fact that some of these perhaps um, more blanket measures may not be as effective as they once would be. All right. Another macro issue looking at the yuan, uh, the dollar, it's actually strengthened more than two percent compared to the yuan in August so far. Um, seems that trend's mm -hmm. going to continue. How is that impacting both the property sector and the broader uh, sentiment when it comes to Chinese equities? Yes. So what we've been really seeing is that when it comes to the currency, at least, um, some of these measures by um, the central bank in China to really effectively stem the currency pressures by you know, having a stronger daily fix um, hasn't really worked. Um, and you've seen that a lot of the weak sentiment that we've seen across um, the asset classes in China have been primarily because of policy inaction, but also because of the the, the sort of disappointing news we've been hearing, um, not, so, not just on the macro side, but also on the property side. Um, contagion risk around um, the trust industry is also one that's gaining traction. So really a lot of negative news that's coming out that's starting to weigh on equity and, and especially on, on the currency as well going forward. Right, and if you think about... I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. <laughs> no, I was going to say, so given that we are expecting more monetary easing, that, that rate differentials vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. is going to be even bigger. And so, okay. you know, the, the pressure on the currency is to the downside going forward, if any. All right, I want to circle back to the property sector. 
Do you believe that we're hitting the bottom? Obviously, we had that news from Evergrande uh, last week that it wasn't a bankruptcy, it was a restructuring, but clearly some distress there. Are we close to the bottom when it comes to the property sector? Is this an area where perhaps investors should look to buy because there's upside going forward? I think it's going to be a very strong, um, I think it's going to be a very long correction process, which means that I don't think we are anywhere near the bottom. And the reason I say that is because um, if you look at what's happening, on, not just on Evergrande, but also on Country Garden, these are property developers that were once seen to be the big property developers, the strong property developers. And if you think about the the longer term property correction that the, the, that the system needs to have because of, you know, years of property excesses, um, you know, we could conceivably see more defaults along uh, coming, coming to a um, going going forward, precisely because some of these property developers may not have the firepower to withstand the liquidity crunch that a slowing property sector could bring. So I think okay. more defaults are likely, which means that we are likely to be nowhere near the bottom. All right, Louise Liu, saying there's more pain to come for those Chinese property investors. Exactly. Thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. No worries. All right, the last of this move from the Beijing uh, fail, failing to provide China's property sector with a much-needed lifeline, our Eunice Yoon has a closer look at the fallout on this key sector of the Chinese economy. Eunice? Thanks, Frank. Well, U.S. investors should really care about what happens in this market, uh, not only because it's a big driver of growth for China, but also for the rest of the world. When you just take a look at some of the numbers, they can be quite impressive. Uh, real estate accounts for roughly 25 percent of Chinese GDP. It's also a massive store of wealth. For China's middle class, a 70% of household wealth is wrapped up in real estate. So if there's a decline in this market, it's going to not only affect uh, the property values directly, but also have a wealth effect. People just feel a whole lot poorer and then they don't spend. It's also a big deal for the financial sector. A property accounts for 40% of collateral held by banks, and this is according to Citi. Now, from the leadership perspective, uh, they might uh, not have a whole lot of options at this point um, at their disposal uh, because of the run-up of debt. Over President Xi Jinping's time in office, Frank, uh, the China debt-to-GDP ratio has risen from about 200 percent to nearly 300 percent. So that kind of explains to you why uh, we seem to be seeing these kind of puzzling incremental steps uh, by the Chinese leadership to uh, uh, t- uh, uh, um, uh, manage the uh, property crisis. Uh, a kind of a, a disappointment for investors. What are investors in trading saying about the bank's latest move? Well, it's, it's really interesting because uh, people have been very much surprised. A lot of folks have been telling me that this could be because of downward pressure on the yuan, uh, that there's a big concern about capital flight. Also, Mizuho just uh, today uh, put out a note saying that this could be because of the tight net interest margins at the banks, that commercial banks wouldn't have the flexibility needed to support um, what the local media have been saying would be the real economy uh, by these uh, commercial banks. Um, also, Oxford Economics said that the rate cuts might not be as effective because people are not necessarily making decisions on these uh, mortgage rates, uh, instead of uh, looking at else, uh, other points. And then Jones Lang LaSalle said that it's a signal. Uh, they believe that the uh, policy controls are still the priority. But, uh, Frank, I think what the main message that I was getting from all the talk today was that there isn't a whole lot of transparency when it comes to the way the Beijing leadership thinks about, uh, well, pretty much anything, but definitely about the real estate market. All right, certainly a lot to watch there. Our Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, thank you very much. 
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Barbie falls from number one, Spanish soccer history, and driverless shuttle buses. They're your top trending stories, and they're coming up right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get to a developing story in Tropical Storm Hillary making landfall in Southern California as the state's first tropical storm in nearly 90 years. What's more, the region also just reeling from a series of earthquakes in recent days. NBC's Jay Gray joins me now from Santa Clarita, California, just about 30 miles north of L.A. Jay? Yeah, Frank, and no doubt you hear the jackhammer going just off camera here. That's happening because this happened. Water rushing down the hill rips away the road here and ruptures a gas line. So they are working to repair that and situations like this playing out across Southern California right now, a place where they're used to wildfires, they're used to earthquakes. They don't think much about hurricane season, or at least didn't until this weekend. Across Southern California, an unprecedented full-on assault from Mother Nature. The entire region under tropical storm watches and warnings for the first time ever. The effects of the storm stretching from the coast through the desert. This is an event that hasn't happened before in terms of having a tropical storm, that kind of energy taking a direct hit into San Diego County, so it's something we need to take serious. Hillary dumping heavy rain, too much, too fast, leading to flash flooding, roads swallowed by the water. I'm worried about some of the more rural and remote areas in the eastern part of the state, uh, some of the more mountainous regions where people could be trapped. Trees and power lines pushed over by gusting winds, this rock slide, a result of soil washed away by rushing waters. And in the middle of it all, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake in Ventura County. The two events, according to seismologists, not connected. Yeah, only in Southern California can you have an earthquake and hurricane storm, and not to mention a 5,500-acre brush fire in Santa Barbara yesterday. What's next? Most hoping for a return to California sunshine so things can dry out and they can start to clean up the mess Hillary leaves behind. Yeah, look, forecasters say things should clear up around midday. Great news because it will allow teams like the one you hear to get into some of the harder hit areas and really fully assess the damage, Frank. Yeah, some of those images, Jay, just amazing. You don't think of Southern California having that level of rain. So uh, I want to ask you, when the rain stops, is that no. the end of the problems or are there still other issues? You know, there are still other issues because it's going to continue to come down out of the hillside and there are a lot of uh, burn marks in the hills. So you've got the potential for mudslides. You've got the potential for more rock slides. And, and so that's going to be an issue for the next few days here until things fully dry out with just a soaking rain uh, through the night and now into the early morning. It's going to take a while for things to, to kind of get dry here. All right. Wishing the best, everybody out there in Southern California. Jay, you stay safe as well. Jay Gray, live in Southern yeah. California. Thank you very much. 
All right, straight ahead here in Worldwide Exchange, while General Motors is being forced to slash its self-driving cruise fleet in San Francisco by 50 percent. We'll have much more on that story when we come back. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stock coming off their worst week since March, but looking to bounce back at the open. Futures are higher. And not so magnificent. Another rough week for big tech as some of the biggest names in the market. They continue to fall from their lofty highs. And closing in on 8%, a check on the state of the U.S. mortgage market with rates at their highest in more than two decades. It is Monday, August the 21st, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. We pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Green across the board, actually trading at their highest level of this morning. It now looks like it would open up about 120 points higher. The Nasdaq up over a half a percent. We're also looking at the bond market, taking a look at yields. As we've mentioned several times, they are elevated right now, trading at, at monthly, uh, monthly highs for the last couple months. Right now, the 10-year at 4.28, the two-year getting very close to a 5% yield. We also want to look at the energy market right now, taking a look, as always, begin with WTI, the U.S. benchmark, trading higher, almost three-quarters of a percent higher. Brent crude up over a half a percent. Still, the biggest action in the natural gas market up over two and a half percent. All right, turning back to stocks with the Dow coming off its worst week since March. Kind of a rough picture for big tech as well, with the Nasdaq on track for its longest weekly losing streak since December. And it's dragging Wall Street lower with some of the biggest names in the market falling sharply from the highs hit back in July. Here's the names we're talking about. Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Meta Platforms, five of the so-called Magnificent Seven, all down more than 10% from their recent 52-week highs and now trading in correction territory. Joining me now with a deeper dive into the sector and where he stands at these levels is Brad Erickson, Senior Internet Services Analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Brad, I want to ask you, we're talking five out of that so-called Magnificent Seven in correction. Is this simply higher rates or is there more to this story? Yeah, no, I think there was, there was a lot of activity over the last few weeks. I think in this case you had, uh, you know, the, the start with the China data out last week, right around July retail sales and, and the general consumer. And I think what was happening was, you know, in, in some of these cases, some of these companies, Meta is a great example, right? We think over 10 percent of their sales is actually coming from uh, from China. And so people are baking in that weakness. And then secondarily, I think, you know, as we head into the to kind of the fall time frame, you'll get into stronger consumer heading into the holiday and that sort of thing. Um, but I think at the moment, there's kind of this late summer malaise and, and, and there were some hedge funds in these stocks that have come out very quickly. So. All right. So interesting. So I want to hit you with some new data it's from Investors Business Daily showing the market value of the so-called Magnificent Seven. You know the names we're talking about, yeah. Google, NVIDIA, et cetera, yeah. has dropped more than $630 billion just in August. $630 billion just in August. Yeah. Making up more than 50% of the S&P's loss this month. Yeah. We've got NVIDIA earnings coming up. Is that, does that have the potential to reverse all of this negative downside momentum or some of those factors you were mentioning, China's weakness, higher rates a lot of people have talked about? Mm-hmm. Is that going to continue to pull down the, these big tech stocks? First and foremost, I think, I, unfortunately, I can't speak for NVIDIA. I don't cover the stock, but, but certainly NVIDIA is an AI play, the AI darling of the year. Um, I think that does have the potential if you have AI exposure or perceived AI exposure, that's certainly a lift, right? 
So start there. Secondarily, a lot of these stocks in our coverage, namely Google, Meta, Amazon, those are, are situations where um, uh, the consumer is obviously driving that. So long as the consumer data continues to be strong, right. we'll see what happens. 8% interest rates on, on mortgages don't help, um, but we have to see kind of how that flows at this point. But wasn't it AI driving the entire market? I know you don't cover NVIDIA, but if we see a great report from NVIDIA, isn't that the sense that this AI trade is still going and maybe these other stocks have more room to run? Uh, yet to be seen, right? Yeah. There's kind of three components of AI we see. There's, there's the chips, the semiconductors. Right. There's the pipes, which is the cloud vendors. And then there's the application layer. I think the first two are pretty well defined and pretty well understood that those are going to benefit from the AI trend. Turns out a lot of people haven't figured out quite what we can do with AI yet on the application side. And so I don't know that there'll be necessarily follow through from that perspective. You know, Brad, that's a very interesting point. I think a lot of us have begins, gotten so excited about AI, but we don't really know what the transformation is going to be that we're going to see yeah. from this emerging technology we're always talking about. So a lot of times we focus on these mega cap tech names. There's also like SMID cap, yep. um, which is a lot of those names are in your coverage area. Yep. When we're talking uh, outside of these uh, Magnificent Seven stocks, what are your top picks when it comes to Internet stocks? Yeah, so uh, Wix is actually a stock we like a lot. It's in the web design space. So if you're a small business looking to build a website, uh, great product. Uh, competes against against stocks like uh, Squarespace right. and GoDaddy to some degree. Um, really under undervalued stock, free cash flow story, more of a defensive play in terms of a recurring revenue model. Uh, so that's one we like a lot. And actually, uh, I would bring up Zillow at this moment, which really? seems a little counterintuitive given interest rates. The problem is, is who doesn't realize that the real estate market is basically at or towards a bottom, right, at this point? And so for Zillow, you've got a market share gain thesis. We think they're actually raising price based on our research in the last few weeks. Uh, I think that, could, that one could benefit as well. You know, great, th great minds think alike. We have the WIC CEO coming on the show tomorrow. Excellent. And we have a senior economist from Zillow coming up after you. Um, so you, you mentioned some of your top picks. Are there any areas of the Internet stocks that you would just stay away from? Are some too volatile? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, at this point, the consumer is looking very strong. Um, I think, and, and the cloud is, is obviously pointing, I think, better from an optimization standpoint into next year. Um, the advertising stocks are, are ones we are watching um, only because advertising spend, particularly on small businesses, has come back a lot over the last year. Uh, recall that when the war broke out last year, inflation, energy costs, that sort of thing, um, you know, advertisers cut very quickly, right. and those advertising stocks got hit very quickly. So I think now we're back to sort of fuller levels, and so we're, we're watching that into the holiday. What names? The trade desk? I mean, what, what are the names you're talking about when you're mentioning this? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, all the, it's all the ad names, and so it's things like, I mean, you, you certainly point to things like Pinterest and Snap, right? Those are, those are the types of names where they tend to be a little bit more brand-focused, a okay. little bit more uh, easy to cut than, say, Meta or Google, those are the stocks that, that we struggle with at this point. All right, Brett Erickson, great to have you here in the house. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank. All right, well, hedge fund sculptor Capital Management is rejecting an unsolicited bid from a group of rivals, including Boaz Weinstein and Bill Ackman, that valued the fund at a reported $12 a share. In its rejection, Sculptor said, quote, the bidder has not demonstrated adequate committed funding for any of its bids, though it fell short of identifying any specific suitors. 
The bid comes after Rhythm Capital agreed in July to buy Sculptor for about $639 million, or $1115 a share. That deal is expected to close in the fourth quarter of this year. City CEO Jane Frazier is reportedly considering a plan to break up one of her bank's biggest divisions. According to the Financial Times, the plan would split the institutional clients group into three new business segments, investment and corporate banking, global markets and transaction services. The division generated nearly three quarters of City's $14.8 billion net profit in 2022. And General Motors' cruise unit says it is cutting its robo-taxi fleet in San Francisco by 50 percent, while the state's Department of Motor Vehicles investigates several, quote, incidents. The move comes after cruise autonomous vehicles were involved in multiple crashes in San Francisco last week, including cars appearing to be stalled in intersections and another colliding with a fire truck, Frank. All right, our Savannah now. Savannah, thank you very much. Yeah. All right, turn our attention now to mortgage rates. They've been moving steadily higher over the past month, putting the brakes on some activity in the U.S. housing market. The average rate on a 30-year fixed loan rising to 7.37% last week. That's according to Mortgage News Daily. That's a more than 20-year high. A combination of higher rates and a continued lack of available listings could keep more buyers out of the market. Also, sellers are on the sidelines as about 80% of homeowners have a rate below 5%, according to data from Zillow. For more insight, let's bring in Orphy Divingi, senior economist at Zillow. Orphy, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good, good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk about it. 7.37%. Um, do you think we've hit the peak? Or are we inching even higher? And what does that mean for the housing market? Look, it's nearly impossible to predict where mortgage rates are, are headed. But a tight labor market, still somewhat loose uh, fiscal policy, despite a shrinking Fed balance sheet, basically point to uh, higher for longer. Uh, but there's good news, right? So demand still exceeds supply in the housing market and home values rebounded this spring. Millennials, the largest generation, uh, the U.S. also opened its border. And so we had a million people come into the U.S. last year. Uh, and so you have all of this demand, this pent up demand. And although buyers returned this spring, existing homeowners kind of sat this one out. Uh, but there's also good news on that front. Uh, a Zillow research, a Zillow survey actually shows that a quarter of homeowners plan to sell within the next three years. And that's up from 15 percent a year ago. There's also good news on the builders front. We have uh, builders have been trying to pick up the slack. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, an, almost a record number of homes under construction in the U.S. today. And housing starts are continuing to increase. All right. So I just want to be clear. Down the line, we may see some relief, but you're saying right now the market's going to remain under pressure. You mentioned immigration um, and you mentioned some other factors. So when we look at the available listings right now and the elevated rates, do you expect to see continued buying or as these rates remain elevated and the, and the consumer honestly becomes a bit more stretched? Are we going to see the housing market slow down even more? Yeah, I think, look, the housing market is returning to its pre-pandemic seasonal patterns. We're heading into the typical late summer slowdown. And so you're, you're likely to see a, a little bit of less, less activity going into the end of the year. Uh, but I think, we're, you know, you're, with more units coming on the market, I think we're going to have a pretty strong uh, 2024. I think there's plenty of reason, like I mentioned, to be bullish about housing, because as long as demand continues to exceed supply, uh, builders will be there uh, to pick up the slack. They have every incentive to. All right. 
So they have the incentive to pick up the slack. But again, that's a, that's a longer term solution. So in the near term, what would you expect for the rest of the year when it comes to the housing markets? I know you can't predict the rates. A lot of people think we may be headed towards 8 percent. But how does the rest of this year play out? We have about 1.6, uh, 1.7 million units under construction uh, at a seasonally adjusted uh, annual rate right now. And so those units are coming on the market. So I, ex- I expect builders to continue with the incentives, uh, you know, to get buyers through the door. Builders have, uh, you know, the ability to make the math work for home buyers. And so uh, that leaves me very, very positive about uh, the near term, but uh, even more excited about 2024. All right. Orphy Divingy, great to have you here. Senior economist at Zillow, appreciate your insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Jeffrey's looking for a birdie on this one, calling the stock best in class with a new buy rating, your morning mystery chart that's coming up next. But first, as we head to break, we have some of your top trending stories. Call it a robo-bus. San Francisco launching a driverless bus service running daily on a fixed route around Treasure Island with seven stops connecting residential neighborhoods with stores and community centers. This comes less than a week after California regulators approved the expansion of robo-taxis. And move over, Barbie. It's Blue Beetles' time to shine. The DC superhero film leading this weekend's ticket sales with a $25 million debut, beating out Barbie for the top spot after a four-week reign, which has brought in more than $1.2 billion globally. Barbie, now the highest-grossing Warner Brothers film ever. And the golden glitter is raining down on Spain as the Women's World Cup team celebrates its 1-0 victory over England Marking Spain as the first team to hold the under-17, under-20, and senior women's world titles all at the same time. Spain also joining Germany as the only two nations to win both the men's and the women's titles. Congratulations to them. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Bank of America upgrading Xpeng to buy from neutral B of A says the Chinese EV maker's cooperation with Volkswagen improves its financial position and could enhance its supply chain management. They also expect Xpeng to turn a profit in fiscal 2025 versus a net loss in their previous forecast. Those shares up more than 5% in the pre-market. All right, more calls on NVIDIA ahead of the company's earnings this week. Baird is naming the chip maker as a top pick, and HSBC is raising its price target from 780 or 2780 from 600. While market expectations have clearly risen for NVIDIA and the AI supply chain, HSBC continues to see strong demand outpacing supply. And this may be the case going into fiscal 2025. Shares of NVIDIA right now up 2%. Jeffries also upgrading a Kushnet, ticker symbol golf, to buy from hold. It says the company behind brands such as TaylorMade, Titleist, and FootJoy is poised to defend its number one share in golf balls and shoes and gain share in clubs. It's raising its price target to $84 a share. Those shares unchanged right now in the pre-market. All right, time now for your global briefing. We began with one of our top stories today. China's central bank is cutting its one-year prime loan rate and leaving its five-year rate unchanged in a bid to further boost economic activity. The move disappointing some investors who have been expecting cuts to both key rates. The U.K. government is reportedly in talks with NVIDIA, AMD and Intel about buying equipment for national AI research. According to The Telegraph, the government has set aside about $127 million for new AI hardware and is in advanced talks to order as many as 5,000 graphics processing units from NVIDIA. And sellers in the U.K. are cutting, asking prices on residential homes at the quickest rate since December, according to data from property listings portal RightMove.
Overall, home prices are down nearly 2% for the month to an average of 365 pounds or just under $465,000. All right, ahead, the one word every investor needs to know today. But first, two doors, four wheels, and a reported eight-figure price tag, why it may already be too late to get the latest and greatest from Rolls-Royce. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Donald Trump announcing he plans to skip Wednesday's Republican primary presidential debate and will instead be interviewed by former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Trump says he sees little upside in participating in the decades-long tradition and believes counter-programming will benefit his campaign. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon breathing a sigh of relief, at least for now, when it comes to job security. According to the Financial Times, Goldman's board of directors remains firm in its support of Solomon, despite a wave of internal backlash, high-profile executive exits, and negative media publicity. DuPont is reportedly nearing a deal to sell its Delrin Resins unit to the Jordan Company, that's a private equity firm, for right around $1.8 billion. Meta Platforms plans to launch a web version of its Threads app this week, posing a new threat to Elon Musk and the X platform, formerly known as Twitter. Meta's head of Instagram says that the web version of Threads is already being tested internally. And Rolls-Royce unveiling a new luxury coupe with a reported price tag of more than $30 million. Just four La Rose Noir drop tails will be made with the first already rolling the streets and more likely gracing a California garage right now. Beautiful car right there. Uh, hard to find, though. $30 million price tag. All right, we've got a big week shaping up for Wall Street, at least on the earnings front. We hear from Macy's, Toll Brothers, NVIDIA, Gap, and much more. Economic data also out on existing home sales, durable goods, and consumer sentiment. And then we have the big event of this week. Fresh comments from Fed Chair Jay Powell at the Fed's Economic Policy Symposium in Jackson Hole this Friday. All right, ahead of that, the markets are looking to rebound from last week's losses. Right now, taking a look at futures, we are seeing green across the board. The market's actually hitting their highs of this morning. The Dow looks like it would open up about 125 points higher. And on that note, joining me right now, Peter Bookvar, Chief Investment Officer at Bleakley Financial Group and a CNBC contributor. Peter, good morning. Great to have you here. All right, so Peter, we're coming off a down week for the markets. Right now, we're seeing the futures bounce up higher. What do you make of this what looks like it could be a rebound for the start of this week. Well, it certainly comes after the uh, sort of surprise rate move on the longer end of the yield curve that in, com- in, con- in, in conjunction with, with uh, selling in some of the big cap tech stocks post earnings uh, was enough to get that pullback. And now we're seeing a little bounce. But un- unless, unless rates fall notably, uh, I-, I would question any sustainability on the upside and would be more focused on what the potential potential downside is. I think markets got uh, very comfortable with the downward trajectory of inflation, deservingly so, and believe that the Fed is almost on raising interest rates, which I think they are. But this long-end rise in yields caught many by surprise and, and changes that calculation and, and shakes up that complacency. So I really want to focus on today, Peter. So you're saying today you see another difficult day for the markets. I'm looking at the 10-year, just about 4.28 right now. Does that continue to weigh on the market, specifically technology, or do you think other areas are also impacted? Well, I think there's definitely a flow-through with the rise in rates to all other asset classes. Uh, now, stocks could rally today. They can rally through the week for sure, uh, particularly after what NVIDIA is going to say on Wednesday. 
Uh, I, I just think in order to get a sustained rally from here, you need a fallback in rates, particularly on the longer end. If longer end rates remain sticky here above 4%, uh, I, I think that an, an equity move higher is going to be tough because we've, we've, we've now priced at a pretty high valuation, 20 times earnings with rising interest rates uh, and, and very mediocre uh, earnings growth, if that. In fact, we're actually seeing uh, an earnings recession. Uh, that's not necessarily the cocktail okay. for uh, a big move higher in stocks, and there's more risk to the downside uh, instead. All right. So, so Peter, you're, you're seeing some softness in the market right now. And with that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? It's rates. That's not a surprise. I, I, We've said it about 20 times already. Yeah, I think I think that's bottom line. And as I said, it's the, the rate move higher on the longer end, which is market driven, uh, I, I think is the, is the main factor here because it's not necessarily happening for all good reason. I think the big influences have been the Bank of Japan widening yield curve control, the massive treasury supply at the same time, Fed's conducting QT. And in fact, a lot of central banks are doing QT. Uh, then you also have the lack of foreign central bank buying, uh, banks that are not buying, offset by retail and institutions, okay. but that are mostly buying shorter term treasuries. So uh, it's not because we're seeing the sudden acceleration in economic growth. Now, right. some people are comfortable that maybe we don't go into recession anytime soon. So, but I think some you know, of these other jump in. We're really factors. focused on U.S. rates right now. We're talking about it. But there's also a big story today in China not cutting um, rates on a key lending rate there that really impacts the property market. So how does that make you look at the property market and other Chinese equities today? Do you believe there's even more downside pain to come? Would you perhaps buy the dip today or would you just stay away from Chinese equities today? Well, China's residential real estate distress on the, on the developer side is, is going to be a multi-year process. Uh, the positive is, is that they're hopefully cleansing a lot of these over-indebted developers. Now, cutting interest rates for them, maybe it'll help slightly on the margin in terms of uh, incentivizing demand from consumers to buy and absorb a lot of this excess supply. Uh, but we do get to a point where we're pu- they're pushing on a string and little tweaks here and there, 10 basis points, right. 15 basis points and rate cuts is not going to really do anything. All right, Peter, almost out of time. Very quickly today, is there a sector that you would put money into or an area of the market you would put money into? Uh, we're still bullish on long energy stocks. Uh, I think oil prices, while they've had a nice move higher here into the 80s, I think they go much higher over the next six to 12 months and we we'll be buying energy stocks. All right, Peter Bookbar, always great to see you. Always read the book report when you send it out. Appreciate the time and the Thank insight. You, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. As we mentioned, futures are moving higher this morning. Uh, Right now, the Dow looks like it opened up about 120 points higher. And right there, we're going to have to leave it. We're going to kick it over to Squawk Box. Have a great morning. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.